story about a retired middle school math teacher, and uh, she was teaching in her class, and, and uh, there was a particular day where she felt like the class was entirely stressed out, and, and she wanted to do something to help, uh, you know, to help the class. So she did this project where she made every student in the class write down every other student in the class's name, and then beside their name, write down the nicest thing that they could think about that individuals what the nicest thing that they think about that student that they would write it down she took those up compiled them and then handed them back out to to the class and so these students were reading the nice things said about them the encouraging things said about them from students in the other class and 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 this was a huge hit you know obviously in middle school you don't get a whole lot of peer encouragement and so to be able to to step into an environment where hey i'm being encouraged by my peers was a big deal to them and and so much so that it, you know, the, the, she quoted students as saying, some of them saying, I never knew that I meant this much to anyone. Um, I didn't know that anyone liked me that much. And then years later, she tells a story about how she went to the funeral of a young man that was in that class that died at war in the military. And at that funeral, she, she is, is speaking with the family and the family stops her and says, hey, we want you to know something that on his person, that he kept on his person at all times, this list that you gave him when he was in middle school, that he would be reminded of what was thought about him by his, by his peers. And, and it was at that funeral that there were several people in that class that began to chime up and says, I've got my list still in my diary at home. I've got my list in this place in this class. And it, it was such a, a movement of what just an encouraging word can do to a person, to, to a heart. The passage we're going to see today is our Lord doing just that for Paul. He's going to speak an encouraging word to Paul, who is in a very discouraging place. We're going to see how, you know, things aren't playing out maybe how Paul thought that they would play out. And so the Lord is, is going to speak a word. And I'm reminded of the quote from George Herbert, which says, Good words are worth much and cost little. And so we, as we want to continue to grow to be like our Lord, we, we, we want to encourage as he encourages but not just to be an encouraging person and we'll kind of wrap it up with that idea but that we would take courage from him as well and I think what we're going to see in the in the passage is how we might take courage from the things that the Lord has done and the things that the Lord is going to do so I'm going to read again what you've already heard from our elder reading but I want to I want to stop um, at verse 10 so let's read on it says verse 1 and looking intently at the council, Paul said, Brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. I love that. Are you sitting to judge me according to the law, and yet contrary to the law you ordered me to be struck? Those who stood by said, Would you revile God's high priest? And Paul said, I did not know, brothers, that he was the high priest, for it is written, You shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Now when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other were Pharisees, he cried out in the council, Brothers, I am a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. It is with respect to the hope and the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. And when he had said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For the Sadducees say that there was no resurrection, nor angel, nor spirit, but the Pharisees acknowledged them all. Then a great clamor arose, and some of the scribes of the Pharisees, uh, Pharisees' party stood up 
and contended sharply, we find nothing wrong in this man. What if a spirit or an angel spoke to him? And when the dissension became violent, the tribune, afraid that Paul would be torn to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and to take him away from among them by force and to bring him into the barracks. Now let's stop there for a minute. Can you imagine what is going through Paul's mind here? Uh, first of all, he's in some hot water for reviling the high priest, right? Now, there's a few theories as to why he would have done this. Um, one theory is that he did it so knowing that he was doing this because the high priest was not acting as a high priest should act. And so he was reviling him in a way that, that kind of put him in his place. That's one theory. Another theory is quite literally that Paul's vision was so bad that he couldn't see that it was actually the high priest. And so he didn't actually know that it was the high priest. Uh, and we know Paul's vision was bad, so that very well could have been the case. Another theory uh, as to why he would have reviled uh, the high priest is that he had been gone on missionary journeys for nearly 20 years, and maybe he didn't know the new guy right uh, and so so here you have a paul in hot water for reviling the high priest and uh and, and and then you know they begin to 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 come at him and paul does something that i think is awesome and i think it's hilarious and probably genius he kind of throws out this theological grenade into the middle of the pharisees and sadducees and they they start fighting with one another and he just kind of fades back into the bushes a little bit right and this is, I think the strategy is great. It'd be like if we had a party with a bunch of Presbyterians and Baptists together and we said, hey, what do y'all think about baptism? And then just back on out, right? Or Baptists and Catholics and say, didn't, didn't Mary have other children? And then just back on out, right? And, and uh, just watch the fireworks. I think that's what Paul's doing. He just, ah, you know, and uh, it kind of gets him off the hook a little bit. And, 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 and so then they start fighting because the Pharisees believe in the resurrection and the Sadducees did not. And obviously this was a big deal. It was a big deal for Christians because Christ resurrected from the dead and we believe that we're going to resurrect from the dead. But, uh, you know, and so, so they start battling, battling it out so much so that the Pharisees who were just, you know, against Paul were saying, now he's our bro. Like, you know, we believe this guy it could have been God speaking through him or an angel, right? And so, you know, we, you know, this is Paul. And then the Sadducees are like, no, what are you talking about? Like, you know, he deserved, he, he reviled the high priest. He, there's no resurrection. And, and so they're fighting. And, and, and to the point to where the tribune is like, hey, we got to rescue this guy before they rip him in two. If I'm Paul, I mean, and I think Paul is probably thinking this in this moment. I mean, I, I don't, I don't think this is what, Paul thought his ministry would look like at this point. I think probably Paul is like, what is happening with my life? <laughs> like at this point, I thought, you know, I would preach the gospel. People would come to Christ. He had just given his testimony before the Sanhedrin. He, he, he was now proclaiming the gospel and, and, and things weren't going probably as Paul had thought that they might go. I, he's you know he, he he has this desire to get to rome he has this desire to get to spain and here he is captive in jerusalem uh being punched in the mouth being being beaten and and, and mocked and and argued with and you just you just can't imagine that he's in the sweet spot of life right now he's like oh yeah things are things are really going well no i i think he's probably in a little bit uh of a state of discouragement disappointment of what you know and 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 for us too i think this is a good word for us is that maybe you're in here and you're a bit discouraged or or disappointed with maybe your life isn't where you thought your life would be 
Maybe your marriage isn't where you thought your marriage would be. Your kids aren't where you thought your kids would be. You, you, your, you know, your job isn't where you thought your job would be. Your spiritual walk isn't where you thought your spiritual walk would be. And maybe you just came in and you're just entirely discouraged. Like, okay, I'm going to go to church, but man, I, you know, I, I'm just in a state of discouragement. I'm in this place to where, and really, discouragement can become overwhelming really quickly, really quickly. And we just get owned by it, where it's like, man, can anything go right? And we kind of Murphy's Law the thing, why if something can go wrong, it will go wrong. And, and, and we just get owned by this overwhelming discouragement. So I want us to look and focus on verse 11, because I think what we're going to see in verse 11 is how the Lord specifically encourages Paul, who I think is also feeling feelings of discouragement and disappointment. Look at verse 11. The following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage, for as you have testified of the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify, so you must testify also in Rome. I think there's three ways um, that we see the Lord encouraging Paul here uh, in this moment. One is he's encouraging with his own presence. Two, he's encouraging him by the work that God has already done in his life. And thirdly, he's encouraging him by the work that he is going to do in Paul's life. So I want to break that up. First one, uh, he's encouraged by his presence. See, the, the, you know, it says that the Lord stood by him. You know, here is Paul imprisoned, and, and, and uh, you know, he's, he's, he's not in a great spot. He's just, you know, gotten beaten. He's gotten in trouble for reviling the high priest, and the Lord stood by him. His presence was with him. You know, see, the Lord didn't have to send out a search party to figure out what was going on with Paul. He didn't have to send out spies to say, hey, tell me what's going on with Paul so I can know how I can be an encouragement to him. No, the Lord knew what he's going through. The Lord knows what he's feeling. The Lord knows what he's thinking and in the same way he knows those things about us we, we know we can't hide from God you might think you can hide from every person in the world and you can fool every person in the world well you cannot do that with God he knows you he knows your thoughts he knows your motives he knows your feelings he knows that you're discouraged even though you pretend to have it all together he knows that you're disappointed even though you wish it had gone a different way he, he knows these things about us and, and so, you know, the Lord knows those things about Paul. And so what Paul needed in that moment was the Lord to stand by him, to be with him. And in the very fact that his presence was with Paul is a great in encouragement. Let me remind you that if you go on to read in Acts 23, that, that Paul doesn't know yet what the Lord knows, that he's about to have a plot against him, Paul, uh, that these Jews are going to take a vow to say, we're not going to eat or drink anything until we kill Paul. You don't think that would have been even more discouraging? Uh, or that he's going to be in Caesarea in prison for two years. These things he doesn't know yet. And so... The Lord just being with him is a great encouragement to him. And, and you might not be in a, a prison cell needing the encouragement of the Lord, but we all need to be reminded that our God is with us. Our God is for us. That, you know, we are not doing this thing on our own, that he is with his children. He's promised that when he, uh, when he gave the great commission, he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I, no, I'm with you always, even to the ends of the age. It's Hebrews that says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. 
These are promises that the Lord has given to his, his people that he will be with us to the ends of the age. So we're not alone. The Lord stood by Paul's side. He, he stood by his side to show Paul, I know you. I know your situation. I love you. I care for you. I am with you. Be encouraged that I am with you. Uh, and you might say, hey, well, how do we know that Paul is discouraged? Well, I think because the Lord doesn't waste words. And so when he tells Paul to take courage, it's because Paul was not taking courage, that he was discouraged. And, and so here's Paul in a moment of, of discouragement. Again, at, at, he, you know, he thought ministry in Jerusalem would go different. He thought the response from the church in Jerusalem would go different. He, he didn't expect to get punched in the mouth uh, and, and then have to you know, call the high priest a whitewashed wall. He, was, he wasn't planning on these things. He, he thought things would be different than, than they were. I'm sure he experienced just depression from the physical abuse from the mob you know he he was in, in a place in in discouragement and uh and and perhaps he was wondering where the lord was in all these things remember paul is not christ paul is not perfect we oftentimes have a tendency to read scriptures and believe that he is but he's not he was human like us though an apostle is still human and so he felt a certain way and I love that the Lord did not, um, he did not condemn Paul for his feelings. And he did not say, you shouldn't feel that way. You shouldn't feel discouraged. Now, feelings are amoral things. We can feel discouraged or we can feel encouraged. We, and that doesn't make us walking in sin or not walking in sin. They're amoral things. However, what we do with those feelings matters. And we need to begin to understand that we are emotional beings in, the, in that we will have feelings. And we need to handle those feelings in a godly way. So when we do experience discouragement, when we do experience disappointment, that we bring those things under the, under the rule and reign of Christ for, for him to come and bring encouragement and tell us how to deal with that discouragement so often we let our feelings dictate everything else around us our, our feelings would dictate the actions of our life our feelings will oftentimes even dictate our theology and, and, and these are dangerous grounds we have to be a people that that uh, as all things in our life bring our feelings under the rule and reign of christ because our, our heart is deceptive above all things. We can feel things that aren't true. Even though we may feel them to be true, they aren't true. And this is the great plight of our culture, that what we feel is equated as truth. And what we feel is often untruths. And we have to su subject our feelings to absolute truth, namely the very word of God. And so we bring our feelings under the word of God and say, is this true? I'm feeling this. Is this true? And so, um, you know, Paul, you know, Jesus doesn't, doesn't, uh, you know, condemn Paul for feeling discouraged. He just tells him, take courage. Bring those uh, 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 feelings under the banner of Christ. Now, I do want to encourage us that uh, he tells him, take courage. This is a command. This is a command. It's a, it's a, it's a, you know, a light command. It's a slight command, but a command nonetheless. And, and Paul then has, uh, you know, the option to obey or disobey the command given to him. Am I going to take courage or am I not going to take courage? The Lord has just told him, take courage. Okay. 
Do I take courage or not take courage? This is a command given to us. And I think this is true of all of us. He's told us to take courage. We, we have the responsibility not to just be kind of mad through life. That we, we have the responsibility to say, okay, the Lord has called us to take courage. How then do I take steps in taking that courage in my own heart and life? One of the primary ways is to remind ourselves that our God is with us. Our God is for us. If man is against us, it doesn't matter. If our God is for us, who can be against us? You know, he goes with us. He, he, you know, I'm reminded of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego walking in the fiery furnace, right? You may not have to actually walk through a fiery furnace, but however, there are storms in life that you may have to walk through. God was with them. God is with us. Our greatest encouragement and strength comes in the very truth that our God is with us. We do not walk alone. You do not walk alone, child of God. God sees, he knows, he's with you, he's for you. Know that and be encouraged. Take courage in the fact that our God is with us, even in difficult situations. Second way that we can see that the Lord encourages Paul and we can take encouragement here is that the Lord encouraged by the work already accomplished. He says to Paul, that he testified to the facts about me. Um, okay, so he's no doubt referring to uh, uh, Paul standing and being beaten by the mob, but he's also probably referring to him giving his testimony before the, before the Sanhedrin and giving him great encouragement in that and saying, hey, you have already testified about me. Look at the work that I have accomplished in and through you and take courage. Look at the work that I have already done in and through you and take courage. A couple of things from this. One, I think we see, a, uh, one thing we see is that Paul, by the world's standards, had, um, had failed. <laughs> we don't hear in this particular testimony of a bunch of people converting and coming to Christ. He, he, a lot of people didn't. We don't hear of anybody coming to Christ in this particular instance, in, in, in this Jer Jerusalem preaching. And so he gets punched in the face, he gets mobbed, you know. And so the Lord says, Take courage. I, I, I'm, look at the work that I've already done in you, which is this. He was faithful. He was faithful to communicate the truth of the gospel. The results are up to God. The, what will prove for us to be uh, that we are walking in obedience to the Lord, we're walking in faithfulness, is not results. It's not how many people show up to a thing. It's not how many people you can win to the Lord. It's not, it's not you know, how many people you can get to say, say a sinner's prayer. What will quantify for you as looking back on your life and saying, look at what God has done, is you're walking in faithful obedience to Him. It's not our job to save anyone. It's our job to communicate the gospel, to herald the good news that sinners might hear that gospel and be saved. But there are faithful men all throughout the scriptures and all throughout church history who proclaimed the gospel and saw zero results. Was God not with them? Was God not for them? Did, did God not work in that, on their behalf? Of course he did. And so we can't judge our life based on results. We have to judge our life based on uh, walking in obedience to, uh, to the Lord. The second thing I want to say about this as an encouragement to us is it is so healthy for us to remember what God has done in our life. 
If you read the entirety of the Old Testament, I mean, over and over and over and over again, God's people set up monuments and memorials to remember the things that God have, has done in their midst. They have festivals uh, and, and parties to remember all that God has done in their life. They had a Passover meal and festival to remember all that God had done in their life. And we as the church take the Lord's Supper together that we might remember all that the Lord has done in our lives. Here's reality for us. We often forget what God has done in our life. So it's so healthy for us to have moments. Maybe you're driving in your car. Maybe you're in the shower. Maybe you're thinking just at night that you begin to ponder all the things that God has done in your life, that you remember that you were a wretch, that he saved, that you were, you were in a miry clay and God put you on the rock of the gospel, that you were a sinner, that he saved by grace. And even beyond that, that where we have grown in our sanctification, that where we were is not who we we are today. It may not be where we want to be, but it's not who we are not who we were. And that is a testimony to what God has done. So it's so healthy for us to remember back and say, praise be to God for what he has already done in my life. Praise be to God. It's so healthy for us to take courage in the work that he has already accomplished in our lives. Do you do that? Do you remember one of the greatest ways to battle discouragement, disappointment, and depression is to remember all that God has done in and through you. Remember the time that he called you to be faithful to share the gospel. And you remember what joy it gave you to, to walk in obedience to the Lord. Remember what it was like to feel the burden and the weight of sin lifted off of your shoulders because you trusted Christ, because you heard the gospel for the first time ever. Remember what it was like to have those special mornings where you were reading the scriptures and God spoke through the scriptures straight to your soul to, to, to reveal to you ways that you could walk in holiness. It's healthy for us to remember and take courage. He's also, the Lord is telling Paul that, that he sees what he has done. He's seen his faithfulness in the work of God. I think it's important for us to remember, not, not in an arrogant, braggadocious kind of way, but to remember what God has done in us in the acts of service to the church, to his name, to the kingdom. And to say, praise be to God for working these ways in my life. That's not natural in me, but I praise God for working those, those ways in my life. I'm reminded, you know, Hebrews 6 says, for God, uh, 6 verse 10 says, for God is not unjust so as to overlook your work. He sees it. And the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints, as you still do. You know, you might not get a lot of accolades for the work you do for God's people or the kingdom, but God sees, and you know, and let it all well up to the, a position of awe and worship of God. He sees it. I'm reminded of 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. He sees it. Whatever you do to serve him, he remembers it. It's part of, you know, we, we talked, um, I preached a lot of funerals in the last two weeks. One I preached 
uh, preaches twice with a poem that says, uh, only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. These acts of service that you do in your life, God sees it. They are the things that will last. He remembers it. He rewards those things. Even if no one else appreciates what you have done, God sees it. And let it bring courage to you to continue to walk in faithfulness to him. Which leads me to my next point. We see that the Lord encouraged Paul by the work yet to be done. Encouraged Paul by the work yet to be done. He says, so you must testify also in Rome. Uh, The Lord doesn't bother to tell Paul that he uh, has a plot on his head that these Jews are not going to eat or drink until they kill him. He says, you're going to testify about, about me in Rome. The Lord doesn't tell Paul that he's going to spend two years um, you know, um, in prison in Caesarea, captured in Caesarea. He doesn't tell Paul that. He doesn't tell Paul that you're going to get on a ship and that ship is going to hit some storms and be shipwrecked and you're going to drift to the island of Malta and you're going to get on the island of Malta. A snake's going to come out of the fire and bite you. He doesn't tell him that. He says, you must testify about me in Rome. Can you imagine the courage by which Paul walked through all the things that were to come because he had not yet testified about God in Rome, about the Lord in Rome? Can you imagine just the understanding, I'm not going to die because what God has ordained for me to do, I have not yet been able to do. I think about the quote, I'm not sure who says it. It says, you are immortal until your work for the Lord is done. I want to remind you, church, that the Lord has numbered your, our days. Not a car wreck, not a virus, not old age. The Lord has numbered our days, and there is no one that can thwart the plan of God. You will not live one day longer or one day shorter than God has ordained for you to live. Now, what should this do for us? This should fill you with great courage to live boldly for the sake of the gospel. For there is nothing that can stop your life short but by the plan of God and that you reach the number of days he has ordained for you. Why fear what man can do to you? For man can only kill the body. But the Lord, He is governed, He is sovereign over the body and the soul. So we as the people take great courage knowing that come at us all you want. There is nothing that will thwart the plans of God. This is why I feel very safe driving on 95. <laughs> if I am to be horribly mangled in a car wreck, It comes by the hand of God. Crazy drivers do not dictate what happens to me. God does. I'm in His hands. There is nothing that will stop my life shorter than God has ordained it. So, knowing that, we take great courage to say, I've got breath in my lungs. God is not done with me. 
I preach this to you all the time. You know this, where I, I, I say to you, God has not saved us to sit and do nothing. He saved us for the purpose of his glorious grace, that we are called ones to, to, to be heralding the good news of the gospel to sinners, that they might hear that gospel and come to faith in Christ. We, we are to be a people that get our feet moving for kingdom purposes, that our lives aren't exhausted just building our own kingdoms and, and, and financial portfolios, but that we we are a people that set out to say, may my life be lived out for God's purposes and the kingdom of God forever. Take courage that you have breath in your lungs. God is not finished with you. Now, why does that matter? Many of you walked in here entirely discouraged and disappointed or entirely apathetic in your walk with Christ. I would speak a word to you to say, you are breathing. It's not too late for you for God to continue to gain glory from your life. Walk in faithfulness to him. Walk in faithfulness to him. And let us be encouraged, take courage for what God is, has yet to do in our lives. The things he has called us to do. The things we get to be a part of. So, again, the Lord says, take courage. You must witness at Rome also. Paul was tired. He was discouraged. He suffered another beating. He just wrapped up another missionary journey. And the Lord says, take courage. I'm not done with you. Somebody needs to hear this. I mean, it doesn't matter if you're young or old. God is not done with you. God wants to continue to use you to bring himself glory in this world. To walk according to his ways. To live out heralding the good news of Christ to the world. So take courage. God is not done with you yet. Now, as I close, I really want to kind of point to two things. One is... I think that we have the responsibility as believers, this is kind of a little side sermon, to, to be as our Lord is and, and be an encouragement to other believers. I remind you from the, uh, you know, the story I told you at the beginning of the sermon in George Herbert's words that says, good words, are not wor good words are worth much and cost little. And if you are an encouragement to your brothers and sisters in Christ, you are walking in the same way in which he walked. You are living like Christ. So much of our lives is spent on ourselves. And, and I don't even just mean your careers or your, your family. I just mean how often do you intentionally breathe life, breathe encouragement into other believers? So often we just kind of look into all right, what am I doing? What do I got to figure out? What do I got to get right next? Is everybody kind of looking at me? <laughs> So much of our spiritual growth would, would be amplified if you would begin to look around and say, who can I be an encouragement to today, this morning, at church? Who can I look in and say, man, I'm so proud of the dad that you're, you're, you are to your family, that you're spiritually leading your family, and I'm so excited for what God is doing in and through you. 
or or looking at a teenager and saying, man, I'm so glad for what God is doing in your life and how God is growing you to be a leader and and, you're walking in, in this area of holiness and I'm just so thankful that God is doing that work in your life. How are we helping people take courage, helping brothers and sisters take courage? God has not... Christianity is not a, a solo sport. This is not an individual sport. He has called us to do this in community with one another. We need one another to, to spur one another on to love and good works. So how are we walking as our Lord walked and coming in to say, not just say, what am I going to get out of this? How am I going to learn and grow? What, what's in it for me? But instead saying, how can I be a blessing to the body of Christ? How can I pour out encouragement to the body of Christ? How can I use my words, my tongue, to the glory of God to build up the church? How can I do that? This is maybe a shift for many of us, but I think it would be a Christ-like shift that needs to take place in a lot of our our souls and life. And then lastly, what I want to do is I want to kind of practice what I preach a little bit and just encourage us as a church. Um, the Lord is with us. Uh, as your pastor, I, I want you to know I firmly believe God has his hand on us. And um, I say that in the most humble position I can, for he can remove it at any moment. And why I think God has kept his hand on this church and is blessing this church is because of our strong resolve to be faithful to his word. To preach the gospel. To teach the gospel in Sunday school, in small groups. To teach our children the gospel. To proclaim the gospel in every cradle in this church. To raise up students that know and understand and proclaim the gospel. To have men's breakfasts that proclaim the gospel and eat bacon to the glory of God. So I want to encourage the church for a moment to say what I have seen. I've been here a year and a half. And, uh, you know, when you kind of come every week, maybe you don't see it or you you maybe because you aren't in the position I'm in, you don't get to hear much of the life change that's happening. But it's happening. I mean, the Lord has blessed us in such a way we've seen people come to faith in Christ in the last year and a half. We've seen adults give their life to Christ. We've seen children give their lives to Christ and be baptized. We've seen God working here to save sinners and bring them into the family of of Christ. I've seen and I've texted with many fathers that have started in the last year and a half to do family worship in their home. They've texted me and said, this is weird, but I'm doing it. I've seen it that God is working in in the men of this church to grow us to be the spiritual leaders that God has called us to be. One small step at a time. I heard this morning about a family doing family worship, and it's such an encouragement to their family. I'm watching families walk in this and grow in it. And God is doing that. He's he's growing our our families in, in the worship of our of Himself in our homes. I'm seeing students begin to lead other students in in Bible studies. I'm, I'm seeing our 
kids being able to articulate the gospel learning and and knowing that it's not their own morality that gets them into heaven they don't have to be a good person to get into heaven but it's but only christ alone and our children are saying i can only get to heaven because of christ's righteousness six-year-olds proclaiming the praise of christ and knowing the gospel in full i've seen it I've seen faithful, generous giving of this body. You have faithfully given financially to this church. Faithfully to the glory of God. I've seen in the last year and a half God begin to work in the hearts of our people to have a desire to go to their, to their neighbors, to, to, to our nation, to the nations. I've had people come to me and say, when we can go, I'm going. That God is welling up in us this heart and desire to send, to take the gospel to unreached places, to, to go and say, we want to be the light of Christ, not just in Palm Beach County, but to the ends of the earth. We can do that simultaneously. We want to go, seeing God raise up hearts that are concerned and praying for the nations to come to know Christ. What I've seen in the last year, I've seen, I've seen people raise up to serve this body. I, I've seen people that, that are saying, man, I, I want to be a blessing. I want to serve. Or you're jumping in places like preschool. You're, you're saying, hey, I can serve one service and sit in one service. I want to do that. I've seen you rise up and do that. Many people that were here in the first service are now serving you by proclaiming the gospel to your children. I've seen, uh, you know, just the amount of people, many of you have told me this, in coming into this church, the blessing that that hospitality team, first impression team has been to you. That you come in and they're like, they call you by name. They remember you. They greet you. What a blessing in a ministry that is. And that's because many people raised up and began to do that work. I mean, look at that VBS booth outside. No, I'm not doing that. God is raising up people to serve this body in incredible ways. And he continues to do it. He continues to raise up people to serve serve this body. I've seen that God has done a work in our church in marriages. He's healed marriages. He's healing marriages. Uh, that, that marriages are beginning to, with some intentionality, begin to say, hey, we're not just, you know, accidentally going through life, but we're going to work on this marriage so that we can be, you know, have the, a godly marriage that honors the Lord. You're being intentional about that? What a blessing. God is moving here. He's with us. And, and I want to give Him glory for what He has done. Church, hear me. I, I'm about to tell you things that, I'm not telling you to brag about our church. I'm telling you, God's hand is on us. Uh, last week alone, we had, I think, a, a hundred or so over what we did pre-COVID in attendance. 
I can't tell you how unheard of that is in our country. I've got pastor buddies that I'm encouraging that they're they're trying to get from 70% of what they were before COVID back to 100%. And to the glory of God, he has his hand on this place. He has his hand here. We're starting a Spanish ministry. I am amped about this thing. I, I think God is going to, I mean, I think one of the things that particularly our area needs is a Hispanic, a Spanish-speaking ministry that is faithful to the Word of God and has a leadership that is holy and, and walking away in biblical ways. And I, I'm stoked about what God is going to do in this Spanish ministry. God has his hand on us. And, and again, I tell us that so we can say, praise be to God. And, and, and may you, Lord, keep your hand on us because we know you can remove it at any moment. We want to be faithful to the gospel. We want to be faithful to teach your word. Keep your hand on us and let us shine brighter to Palm Beach County and beyond it. Take courage, church. God is at work here. You need to see that. and You need to know that. He's, he's using you and you're serving and you're giving and you're praying and you're going and you're inviting and you're sh- social media sharing and you're in your marriages in your children. He, he's 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 blessing. His hand is on us. But also, I want us to take courage. In what he is going to do. Because we've arrived nowhere. <laughs> I think we have hit the tip of an iceberg of what I think God wants to do here i think for us we should take as an anthem take courage for you must witness in rome also i think we've we have yet to begin to see how many fathers are going to be begin leading spiritually their homes i think we've yet to 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 to, to scratch the surface of how many marriages are going to go from at, at one another's necks to, to bringing god glory and how they love one another and serve the kingdom I, th- I think we've scratched the surface on the kids that we're raising up to understand the gospel, that they're going to be the sent ones out to the ends of the world. I, I think what we're going to see in the coming days, that God is going to continue to, to shine forth the gospel in the darkness of Palm Beach County so they may hear the good news and come and be saved. I think what God is going to do, I, I, I'm already thinking of how I think God is going to use us to plant churches. Gospel-centered, God-honoring churches. We raise up. It may be a kid back there that's in fourth grade right now. We're going to raise him up to plant and pastor a church somewhere in this nation or another nation and to the glory of God. I think we're going to send him and we're going to plant churches. I think we're going to be a part of when, when God says, this is my church, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That's not a defensive position. That's an offensive position. The gates of hell will not hold us back from advancing the kingdom of God in darkness territory, and we're, gonna, we're in on that. You, First Boynton, are in on that. We are pushing back the darkness, the gates of hell, and proclaiming that God is alive and God saves sinners and come and find life in Christ who gives without price the living water. You are in on that. 
And, and I, I literally think we, we see the tip of the iceberg of what is to come. So may we take courage in knowing that God is not done with us. If he was done with this church, he would have shut these doors a long time ago. But the fact that these doors are open, the fact that this, this pulpit is a pulpit that proclaims the goodness of God and salvation of sinners, the, the, the fact that you go out as sent ones into your HOAs and neighborhoods and workplaces and ball fields, God is not done with us. I think we've only started to see what God wants to do. Now, maybe you're discouraged on a number of different levels. Your own spirituality, your own disappointment with your life or where you thought it would be, your own walk with Jesus, your own service of him in the church or otherwise. There is no greater place to recommit your life than the Lord's table. When we remember that our God is with us and we remember all that he has done in our life, then it would set us up to, to recommit or resolve to say, I know, Lord, you are not done with me. Therefore, move in my heart as only you can. There is no greater place to do that than the Lord's table. And we're going to do that collectively as a body. We're going to come to the Lord's table and, 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 and say, praise God for what he has done. Praise God that I was a sinner and he saved me by his grace and mercy. Praise God that it was his work on the cross that, that won me and gave to me righteousness. And I'm still breathing, therefore I know he's got plans for his own glorification through my life yet to come. And we want to resolve to say, Lord, yes, I've been discouraged. Yes, I've been disappointed. Yes, I've been depressed. Or I've been walking in a way that is, you know, just kind of, uh, and no real fruit or life towards spiritual things. But I know you're not done with me. And I want to step, take, bring my feelings under the sovereign rule and reign of Christ and walk according to your way. And know that. You're not done with me. A couple of logistical things here before we take of the Lord's Supper. We practice what we call open communion here, which means you do not have to be a member of this church to take communion with us. However, it is for believers only. Uh, it is very dangerous for you as a non-believer to take communion. Uh, I warn you very sternly to not. We want you to be here. And the reason that I'm telling you this is because I love you. I want you to understand the gospel. I want you to walk according to his way. And I want for you to one day be able to take communion with us. However, this is for those who have trusted in Christ as their only hope of salvation. That it is the blood of Christ poured out for them, the body of Christ broken for them, that has won for them their salvation. They have no other hopes. We have no other hopes. We're not trusting in our morality. We're not trusting in some benevolence of God that he lets all people into heaven. Those things are not true. We have trusted that Christ is our only hope of entering into eternity with him forever. The only hope that we had of being, having our sins dealt with. And so this is a remembrance for believers. 
If you have children in the room that are not yet believers, do not let them take. Great opportunity for you, dad, mom, to explain to them the gospel. You're going to come up. You're going to come out of your row to your left. Come down to the, to, to the tables that are in front of your section and then go back up uh, the other row um, and go back to your seat. We have a gluten-free option on these two middle tables. Um, it's just the bread. You would take the juice from the normal um, guys that will be uh, uh, handing it out. And uh, if, you, if you don't need gluten-free, please don't take that so that we have enough it's double cupped uh so you will you when you grab you just you just reach one thing it'll be the bread under the juice so you take both cups you would then go to your seat sip and hold it and uh the band will come up we'll play we'll sing uh you will take a moment to to spend time with the lord to meet with him to allow him to examine your own heart to, to give him glory for what he's done and what, what he wants to do in you. And then I will come back up and we will take and eat together. Okay? I'm sure I always forget something, but I'll clear it up. As If you can't get up, uh, we'll have one of our guys bring it to you. You'll see them walking through, just flag them down, and they'll bring it to you. Okay? All right, let's pray together. And as I pray, those of you handing out communion, y'all come up too, okay? Let's pray together. Father, we love you. And uh, Lord, we take great courage in the, in the truths that you are with us, that you have done a great work to save us. You've done a great work in our sanctification. You've done a great work in our obedience. And we know that you are going to do a great work in us, for you are not done with any of us yet. Father, you and you alone have numbered our days. May we live each one out for the glory of God. May we be faithful witnesses that God, that Jesus is alive. That he paid the debt that I couldn't pay. That he has done the faithful work of saving sinners and making them as righteous as he. Father, I know there's folks in here that don't know Christ, watching online that don't know Christ. Father, I pray that you would do the, the saving work that only you can do. Would you grant the gift of faith and repentance. Would you regenerate a heart this morning? Would you bring a dead heart to life? May the witness of believers and their taking courage in the Lord, may the witness of believers and their coming in unity to the Lord's table scream out the gospel to the dead soul and bring that dead soul to life today. Let the blind see. Let ears hear the gospel for the first time. As we take, we take as a body, we take as one, and we take to the glory of Jesus Christ who suffered and died my death that I should have died, my suffering that I should have suffered to win for me righteousness and right standing before God forever. 
Praise be to Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.